Hello, and welcome to a special COVID-19 edition of the What Works for Children's Social Care podcast. Government guidelines around social distancing have forced us all to change how we live and work, not least those working with some of our most vulnerable children and young people. From our conversations with social workers and children's services departments across the country, we know that many have responded with imaginative and innovative solutions to the challenge posed by COVID-19. These podcasts will share with you some of the ways people working in children's social care are responding to inspire and reassure you. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, or you would like to get more involved and share how you're adapting with these challenges, please get in touch. Details are in the show notes. Hello, I'm Michael Sanders, Chief Executive of What Works for Children's Social Care. We're an independent charity looking to create and collate an evidence base in children's social care to improve outcomes for children, young people and families. In this edition of our special COVID-19 series of podcasts, I'm talking to Rachel Pryor, Head of Service, Inclusive City and Virtual School Head Teacher at Bristol City Council. Rachel has nearly 30 years of teaching experience, working mainly with primary children in schools in challenging circumstances. During this time, she's been a SENCO, teacher coach, senior leader and head teacher. For the last six years, Rachel's been the virtual head teacher of the of Hope, Bristol's virtual school for children in care. This post is statutory and carries with it the responsibility for ensuring people premium plus is spent on raising educational attainments for children in care. In 2017, the Children and Social Work Act extended the role of the virtual school to advice and guidance for previously looked after children. Rachel is a member of the National Association of Virtual School Heads Board, as research related and has also represented the Southwest on the wider board. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me today. So can you tell me what's happened to the role of the virtual school head during the during the pandemic and the lockdown? Uh, sort of, I know, I know that a, a virtual school does not mean an online school, but all schools have become virtual in, in that sense over this time. So what, what's, what's your experience been? Well, yeah, as you say, it has become more virtual. Um, we've done a lot more um, online meetings, a lot more um, conferencing over the telephone, but really, in a sense, it's not had a huge impact on our work. It's had an impact on our young people, obviously, and those young people being, uh, a lot of them being at home, um, but it, it's kind of been business as usual. We've just had to switch our mindset and use technology, generally Zoom, and uh, you know, conference call and have um, personal education planning meetings, discussions, over the internet um so that's kind of changed how we work and in some ways it's made us think a little bit more deeply about how we use our time how we support young people and one of the things that we found is a positive that we're finding is that some young people are more keen to join their personal education planning meetings than they were and they're always at the heart of it and their voices at the heart of it but sometimes they don't want to come physically into the room with um, the adults around them to talk about their education they've been more willing to to kind of engage online um, and brought things and shared and been and so that's been a bit of learning for us about how how our young people might choose to engage with us and so lots of their their education has moved sort of online materials and that sort of thing. Have there been any technological challenges for facing the young people? I appreciate it for us and yeah. colleagues as well. Yeah, making sure that um, they've all had access to laptops 
and, and things like that. That's still an ongoing um, piece of work. But we were able to use People Premium Plus to um, purchase a, a number of laptops right at the beginning of the pandemic and also um, individual children's People Premium to um, ensure that they've got um, the access to online learning. It's been an ongoing discussion around um, around that um, need for that and potentially whether the pupil premium should be used or shouldn't be used or whether it should be coming from another source of funding. But we we kind of bit the bullet and, and, and decided to go with um, use of pupil premium. There's also been the government laptop scheme, which has um, had a lot of complications, I have to say, but um, has provided some additional uh, machines for children who've got social worker, and um, which we're just in the process of rolling out um, as a local authority at the moment, once we've got assured that safeguarding measures are put in place along with that. And what are the, what are the complications been to the government's uh, scheme? Oh, you don't want to know. <laughs> Just things like ownership, so that the local authority is the owner, not the person. So we've had to make sure we've got appropriate loan agreements. And as I say, making sure that we're safeguarding young people, that they're the appropriate. Some of the software is already loaded, but we needed to make sure that that was adequate and also give the right advice and guidance and support to families to know what to do around safeguarding so that we're not just um, you know, presenting a, a machine that the families aren't going to be able to use um, safely. Yeah, so it's amazing how complicated things can can get yeah. at at speed when people, even when with the best of intention. Absolutely. Um, and obviously, learning online is quite a different experience to learning in a, a classroom. But as you've said, there can be advantages, um, particularly for this group of young people, of not having to go into school and not having to confront this. Is that something that you, you found people have been uh, engaging more or, or less with their education's time, or is it about the same? I think it's a bit, I think as I say, the word I keep using at the moment is blended. So it's about that blend of education. And and I think um, I'm not a fan personally, as my personal learning style is not to learn online. I'm, I'm much more interactive. I like to be fiddling with bits of paper and, you know, so everyone has their own different learning style. But I think for some children, um, it's it's about understanding your learning styles and playing to your strengths. And, and when we're talking about blended education for some children, um, learning in, in on an online way is going to be um, a real positive for other children. It's, it's not going to work. And I think it's about thinking about the needs of every individual child and, uh, and what works well for them. And also, obviously, schools have got such an incredible, difficult job at the moment to try and make sure that they have a safe learning environment, that there's bound to be more of an element of online learning going forward. Um, and I think teachers are going to be thinking very creatively about pedagogy and, and about what that looks like. But I think what the most important thing for me would be whichever methods you used, it's got to be, you know, it's got to be good, strong relationships between the learner and, and the teacher and the, and the adults. Um, and that's really what, you know, makes, makes it successful, um, whichever way it's delivered, face-to-face, online, through Zoom, however. So vulnerable uh, young people, as they're classed by the, by the government, um, this is a podcast, so no one could see me doing air quotes there, but um, people could twist that I did, um, including uh, children in care, are entitled to, to go into school. But my understanding is that obviously this hasn't been happening in general, but also the virtual schools in general haven't been advising that uh, young people who are in care do go in. But obviously in some circumstances they might do. Can you tell me about sort of when you would think it was a good thing, when you when you might give advice for a young person to be going into a bricks and mortar school and when not? Well, we've had to do this 
thing that strikes fear into everybody um, because of the, the title, but the risk assessment, which I think uh, never goes down well as a tool, um, but actually it is a really, really useful tool for thinking about what's best for the young person and what's safe for the young person. So what we have done as, as a virtual school um, has been promote those conversations around what is best for this young person in terms of uh, risks, risks of family, risks, um, things that risk to placement breakdown. Because if um, if there was a, a health risk or a, um, offset against a risk to placement breakdown, which could then create more health risks by creating more contacts, but also emotional um, risks for that young person. So what we encouraged um, very um, early on, uh, we designed a, a risk assessment format that was thinking very much about uh, the needs of families, where where a carer may be shielding, for example, or there may be underlying health assessment health needs for the for the carers. Um, or for other people in the family so sometimes um, you know many of our carers are, are older than parents tend to be as, as you'll know so um, the carers um, sometimes had you know more underlying health conditions if you like uh, proportionally so that there had to be a sort of a, a proportionate balance and response to that uh, we encouraged the use of risk assessments to think really carefully that you know we gave a, a format for and initially many children didn't go into school um, and then there was some discussion and there were some um, differences of opinions between carers and, and uh, schools. Some schools initially interpreted that children in care were safe with their carers because their carers were safe people. Therefore, they didn't need to come into school. But what, what our role as the virtual school was to kind of impress on them the, the greater risk to uh, care, the care system, should the pressure of children not attending school and then some of the pressures of sort of feeling they had to homeschool on carers and the impact of that on the, the whole care system. So we were really on that from the start, making sure that, that schools um, were thinking in those terms of, of um, protecting the care placement through providing uh, for children in care, as well as their other uh, vulnerable children who where, where the risk may be more obvious um, in terms of sort of risk to, to their safety um, uh, if they're at home. So that's what we 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 worked with. And so initially, um, many, there was a lot of caution. There was a lot of caution from carers. Um, and there were some carers who were really keen for children to go to have a full-time offer. And we had to do a little bit of negotiating with those schools around that. So we were involved in a lot of discussions, bespoke discussions around individual young people to make sure we got that right. And over time, we've seen the number of, of children in care gradually increase as self-isolation has has ceased for some families when they've, they've ceased that period of self-isolation. They've been able to go back. Confidence has risen. I think sometimes, you know, children have just got, let's face it, got bored at home and, and wanted to go back to school after initially thinking it was it was great to be off. So I think there's been a number of factors, but we have consistently tried to encourage children to take up that offer and carers to take up the offer of, of education and, um, and for providers to make sure that they have that, that full-time offer. And during the holidays as well, uh, um, in some cases. I can certainly, I can certainly relate to getting bored of being at home after a certain period. The novelty wears off remarkably quickly. Is there anything that's changed during the lockdown that you hope will continue? Anything that you think actually this is something which we've learned, something positive that we can continue into yeah. our normal practice? I mean, loads of things. I think 
it's it's strengthened relationships in way in a way because it's been more communication, different ways of communicating. We've been calling our carers regularly, um, discussing all sorts of things, you know, and challenges around around the pandemic. And I think as well the use of video technology and this kind of a meeting has been incredibly helpful because at least 35% of our children are educated out of Bristol. So many of my staff team spend literally hours and hours on public transport, driving to go and visit and have meetings. Now, I'm not suggesting they shouldn't go and visit the young person and and you can't you can't uh, underestimate face-to-face contact and getting a feel for their education institution. You can't always see that on a on a video. But actually, we need to think differently about how we how we um, organise our time more smartly so that we're able to um, have a blend, as say, of supporting children face-to-face, but also supporting and holding our meetings virtually. Yeah, that sort of the the amount of time that people spend commuting, particularly to places that are out of local authority, for the benefit of people who may not be as familiar with the system, what's the sort of furthest away that a child might be being educated uh, from Bristol? Uh, Cumbria, Glasgow. So not even in the same country. Dover, which has been quite hard, you know, the you know home counties everywhere. I mean, for some, and it's because um, for some children, the need for their care placement to be far away is is there, or it could be that just the right education and the right care placement can't be found locally. Um, and I know that our, our colleagues in social care work really, really hard to try and ensure that our children are educated locally. And there's been a big push in Bristol to have um, local children's homes and, and a real piece of work done, a really good piece of work done to try and um, ensure that we can meet the needs of the the care needs of young people in the city and the education team have responded and worked alongside the the social care team to try and get that right. Glasgow and Dover are very very far away how do you I'm going to ask a perhaps stupid question do people fly to Glasgow or do they have to drive? Yeah yeah we've had you know we every form of public transport my team have you know have, have, have tried and we always look for the cheapest obviously but yeah sometimes having to stay overnight in those sort of situations as well so so yeah we we will have to um it it will help us to think about being able to do some things uh, without that need to travel yeah no i bet um and so so is there anything that you would think of as thinking you're most proud of which has happened during the last sort of three or so months I think the fact that the virtual school team has been there, has been there for teachers and schools, it's been there for carers and children. And I think we had a, a really um, lovely email just the other day from a designated teacher in school, just um, thanking my team for the magnificent support that they've given um, her and her developing her understanding of, of how to best support children in care. And it's a fantastic school as well. And they've, they've got um, a, a large number um, of, of children in care, I think 20 at the last count. And they've done fantastically well with those children and just that positive relationship between the designated teacher who was who was thanking us um and the way that the children um are achieving in that school and the 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 relationships that that are around those young people I think we've had a we've had a part in that as, as a virtual school 
And one of the things that um, we do that I haven't really mentioned, so I'll, I'll sort of tack it on the back of this, is to uh, encourage those positive cultures in schools, encourage um, cultures of inclusivity um, and encourage understanding um, around things like attachment and trauma. So by working alongside and providing uh, training and support, and we do a lot of training and a lot of um, bespoke um, advice and guidance for, for designated teachers, we're helping to change those, those cultures for the better so that those children are getting a positive experience, an inclusive experience of school. So I think that's what I'm really proud of. It's hard to measure. It's one of those things that's hard to measure. I can tell you my attendance has gone up and I can tell you, not during COVID, but uh, you know, I can tell you that those kind of measures and I can tell you that you know our, our Key Stage 2 results last year were better than they'd been for, for well, better than they'd ever been. And in the case of maths, better than their peers uh, in, in Bristol. So I'm proud of those things, but actually I'm really proud of the sustained improvement and changing of cultures that we're able to do. Um, and we've still got a long way to go. We've still got to break down some of the the um, binary systems where children are finding themselves excluded and um, we've got high exclusion rates in Bristol um, so one of my jobs now is to try and spread that good practice further to to include all children with a social worker not just children in care. That's fantastic thank you uh, Rachel it's been great to speak to you today um and thank you for for joining us and thank you for all the work that you and your, your colleagues are doing at the moment yeah. and in general thank you thank you thank you for the work you're doing because it's really fascinating the um the what works um research and we will be using that as, as part of our guidance to for schools to, when they're looking for um, interventions because it has got that really strong evidence base so um yeah so thank you that's really helpful Thank you for listening to this COVID-19 special edition of the What Works for Children's Social Care podcast. We hope you found it interesting and useful. If there are any topics you would like us to cover, or you would like to get involved and share how you are adapting to these challenges, please get in touch. Details are in the show. Don't forget to check out our regular podcast for the latest on evidence-based practice to improve outcomes for children, young people, and families. You can also find lots of interesting research on our website as well as other ways to get involved. Thank you.